We'll take your Bibles this morning and let's turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 as we continue this series called All In. And uh, I think you're going to be just challenged by this message today. Joshua chapter 1. And let's begin reading this morning at verse 10. We looked at the first nine verses last Sunday. And uh, I know what a lot of you are wondering that we're here. Yes, my children got to school safely every day this past week. They did not ride the bus. I don't know if they'll ever ride the bus again, but uh, they did get to church and to school safely, soundly, and uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the archive from last week. And we're going to move from buses to boats today, and you'll understand that in just a minute. Uh, But let's read together Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. And if you remember, Joshua is a picture to us of our Joshua, our Yeshua, our Jesus. He's our commander. And we're the people that he's trying to make sure we don't live in a wilderness of unbelief and, and sinfulness and settling. And he wants to move us into an abundant life. And so this picture in the book of Joshua is just a beautiful picture. Everything uh, was a reminder to the people of Israel. Here's what God can do if you'll let him. And it's a reminder to the church now of, of not settling, of not getting stuck, of moving forward and And here we see Joshua commanding the people, and they are going to move. And they're going to move across the river, and we're going to watch this happen in the coming weeks. And they're going to take Jericho and some of these cities. And the tribes are going to go into the various uh, allotted inheritance, um, their, their portions of the land. But right now, we're looking at the very beginning, this movement from stuck to unstuck, from complaining to conquering, from wandering to winning. And this is where it starts here. Joshua commands the officers, all of the leaders, to go out through the camp and say, It's time to go. Pass through the midst of the camp. Command the people, prepare your provisions. For when, within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said to these two and a half tribes, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. See, these two and a half tribes struck a deal with Moses. They had proliferated. They had lots of cattle. They had found land On the east side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, they found a place they liked. They struck a deal, and they were going to stay. But he says, listen, part of your deal is you've got to cross over the Jordan with all of the other tribes. You've got to cross over with everybody else with your warriors. Leave your kids and your children, your cows home. But send your warriors to fight until everybody has their allotted inheritance until everybody has their rest. So are you all with me this morning? We all together? All right, so here we go. He says, you have to go until, verse 14, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession, shall possess it in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward 
the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you will send us we will go. Isn't that the right response? All that you have commanded us, Jesus, we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Be strong and courageous. Father, I just ask as we open up this passage, as we think of ourselves as believers and as the church and under you, Lord Jesus, as the head of this army, this tribe, as the head of this group of people, and you want to lead us into a higher level of submission and yieldedness to you. You want us to walk at a higher level of surrender and faith and fruitfulness. We know that, Lord Jesus. May we hear your command and respond. May we go all in for you. We ask now in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I saw a pretty stunning movie. And uh, I never really understood the story behind this movie. I got a little bit of the details before I went to see it, but it's a really interesting betrayal of the the story of Dunkirk, the Battle of Dunkirk. How many of you have seen this movie? You've all watched this movie? It's it's a pretty amazing story behind the movie. The reason we're not as familiar with it is It happened before the Americans ever got into World War II. And here's the gist of the story. The British expeditionary force of around three or 400,000 went in to France and Belgium and decided to go against the Nazis. Well, the Nazis routed them and basically drove the British expeditionary force and the French, anybody, drove them all the way to the beaches of Dunkirk. And there they were stranded. They were stranded. I think I got a picture, a live picture of some of the men on the beach there. As they're lined up, they called them queues, they're queued up to go into uh, the boats that would come up on the shore. There were 400,000 soldiers stranded, stuck on the beach. And the, the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, just could come and could pound the boats and could strafe the beach and they were sitting ducks and it was just a matter of time when the Germans would break through the the resistance in the city of Dunkirk and overwhelm them and all of them would have been taken prisoner or killed and basically Britain would have been left with very little of an army. So the Prime Minister decided we've got to do something and so he decided we're going to try to rescue at least 40,000 or 10% of the 400,000 that were on the beach. So he sent the big ships and all of those kind of things. And, and they struggled because they, there were only really a couple of places big ships could go. And those had been bombed and obliterated by the, by the, uh, the, the Nazi Air Force. And, but he decided if we can just get 40,000. But eight days later, eight days later, 360,000 men had been rescued. And this really, it wasn't. A miracle. We throw that word around a little bit too easily. A miracle is when something that can't be accomplished naturally is accomplished supernaturally. What happened those eight days was the result of people answering their king's call. 
You see, these stranded men on the beach faced imminent death. They were perishing. They were lost. And the prime minister put out a call to the normal people of England. They put a, to the civilian fleet made up of, of yachts and pleasure boats and fishing vessels of, of, of lots of, of different sizes. There's one picture I want you to see of, of little rowboats that, that people had taken across and they would, they would take these small boats and just a few men at a time between 900 and 1,200 small vessels to 340,000 men. Here's the parallel for me. The parallel for us is that we, when we look at our nation, we look at our world, and we look at our community, we see the perishing, don't we? We see them stuck. We see them lost. We see them facing an enemy that a lot of times they don't even understand in huge numbers. But sometimes we get overwhelmed with the numbers. We get overwhelmed with the magnitude of it. But I'm here to tell you, if we answer the king's call, if all of us, if all of us will answer that, the 300,000 can be rescued. Do you believe that? Isn't it interesting that there's around 900 adults that will probably be in this building today? Adults. Can 900 rescue 300,000? Well, if we, if we take what the king gives us, if we take what uh, he has given us, and we go in in small ways, if we work together... There is absolutely no reason we can't accomplish the impossible. When people go all in, amazing things happen. And when Joshua calls the people of Israel, he says, Listen, we're going to go across this river, but we've got to go together. Some of you are big tribes, some of you are small tribes, some of you got lots of wealth, lots of cattle, lots of soldiers, some of you don't. All of us, when we go all in together, can accomplish something that that uh, other people can't. Here's another parallel that I thought about the entire time I watched this movie, is that the challenges to reach the lost and, and unchurched and people that are far from God today are, are adjusting, and they're, they're, they're different than they were in a time. It used to be that the big buildings could draw them in, just like the big... You know, one of the reasons they had to use all those little boats is that it was so shallow in Dunkirk that the large boats simply could not come near the coast. There had to be lots of smaller boats that go in close and take them out a few at a time to the big boats. Too many Christians, listen, too many Christians are counting on the big boat to rescue everybody. Too many of us say, well, we need the professional soldiers that are seminary trained. They'll handle it. We'll just get the big boats and the big churches and all of those kind of things, and they are to rescue the perishing. But I'm telling you, the only way we're going to reach them is when we, when we go in with what God has given each of us. When we go in in small groups, we go in one and one. There are places and people that can only be reached by you. And you have to, you have to see the need. You have to understand how we approach that. One of the ways that we do that here at Westside, and this is why our life groups are like life boats. Because I believe that those smaller groups can reach people that won't be reached by the bigger groups. One of the things we're encouraging you to do in the coming months, and I want you to remind your life group teacher of this, we've, uh, is that we are, we are really encouraging you to take one night a month to have outreach gatherings in your homes or at a park or in some place 
where you can invite your unchurched or your lost friends who may be uncomfortable coming into the big boat first. This coming Sunday night, this uh, uh, Labor Day weekend, we're going to give you one Sunday night a week that we encourage you to do that. It didn't have to be on Sunday night, but we encourage you to do it on that, on that evening. And the reason we're, we're really pushing that is because I believe you can approach in the shallow waters as a smaller group uh, places that I, in the big ship, cannot approach. Two by two, four by four, one by one. It'd be amazing. It's amazing what you can accomplish. They call it the Dunkirk spirit. It's still that spirit over in England that, listen, those are our men. Those belong to us. That is our challenge ahead. Whatever you've got, let's put it all in. I also believe that's the Holy Spirit. We don't need the Dunkirk spirit. The Holy Spirit is telling us the same exact thing in the Word of God. You are uh, uniquely designed to approach and reach and witness and be uh, an agent of rescue for people that are perishing. Winston Churchill called that Operation Dynamo. Jesus calls it the Great Commission. (laughs) Right? And he has called us to use what we have. Too much of the church today is not involved in the action. They are unconcerned, uncommitted, and uninvolved. The resources that could win the battle are often parked, are often uh, uh, wrapped up and tied up to some worldly peer, if you're following my analogy here, instead of being leveraged and used and put into service for our King, the Lord Jesus. There is a level of effectiveness and impact that is only achieved when a body of believers go all in. And we look at the 300,000 that are in Alachua County and we say, listen, 900 people can make a huge difference. A huge difference when we go all in. Well, as Joshua goes out through the people, he's commanding them, all right, it's time to go, let's go. And he looks at that two and a half tribes and he says, listen, I know you've made a deal to stay in the wilderness, but I'm going to want you to go in with us. This is an all-in moment. Last week I talked about getting off the bus. Listen, today it's get on your boat. (laughs) Get in your boat and let's put it in the water for the Lord Jesus. Well, there are several things that we see in this passage that are keys to success. They were the keys to success for the people of Israel to claim their promise and to inherit the life that God had for them. And they are keys to the success of the church today. Look at verse 10. The first key to success is these folks and the people we saw at Dunkirk, that civilian fleet, and this church And the only person I can really control is me, but I've got to encourage you to do this. We immediately respond to the king's command. When Jesus says to go, we go. And we go with what we have and who we are. And we respond to the, the commands of Christ immediately. 
Look at Joshua 1.10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. He didn't say, oh, listen, go out into the camp and ask for volunteers. He said, no, you go out. These are God's people commanded to go into the promised land. Jesus isn't asking for volunteers. He is looking at his people. And if you claim to be his people, he's saying, listen, rescue the perishing. They are on the beaches of this world. They are in, the, in your neighborhoods. They are within reach. It may, they may be in too shallow of a water that, that the big church is going to be of attraction to them, but you can respond to the king's command. And he goes throughout the camp and he says, Now listen, I want everybody to go. All the ladies, all the children, soldiers, pack up your tents. It is time to go. And what we see at the end of this passage is that they immediately responded. They didn't have a lot of committee meetings. They didn't have a lot of um, uh, doubt. There was no delay. Arthur Pink writes, The longer we delay, the more reluctant we are to comply with God's requirements. I find that true. We sit around and we think about it too much. We think about the vastness of the challenge. Listen, we, we can talk ourselves out of obedience. Delay itself is disobedience. Procrastination evidences a lack of heart for the divine precepts and an absent, absence of concern for the divine glory. The Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, said, Folks, don't, don't look at this Dunkirk as a great uh, victory. We really... Where we snatched something out of the mouths of defeat. But they, they saw this as something that spoke to the glory of the people and the, the spirit of the people of England. But we are concerned, you and I are concerned, and not about our own glory, and saying, look at those folks at Westside. Look how they go after it. Look how good. We don't want the glory for Westside. God wants us to obey His commands for His glory. Do you believe that? He wants us to rescue the perishing. He wants us to go after folks in the name of Jesus because you and I don't have what it takes to do that. And when we do it, God gets the glory. And so we go. We immediately respond to His command. His command is for His glory. There are people, listen, there are people... Only you can reach. If 10% of us seek to reach our neighbors and the people within our influence, that's, that's, we're going to reach about 10% of who we could. But if we're all in. Listen in Joshua chapter 4 to the glory God wants to, uh, to have in our lives and through the lives of Israel. It's the same basic idea. In Joshua chapter 4, it says in verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan, split the Jordan before you, and you cross. Now, this is after they've crossed. They're looking back. Just as the Lord your God had done in the Red Sea. Why did God divide the Red Sea and divide the Jordan to rescue a bunch of people that really a lot of them were complaining, but he rescued them anyway? Verse 24 says, So that all the peoples of the earth may what? may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See, God wants to use us and use our little boats, whatever size and however they are, they got, that God has given us that 
when, he, when we use this, the world looks at our lives and hears the message of the gospel and little miracles can happen. People come to life in Christ, they're rescued, and God gets the glory. Second, Tim, Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should what? Perish. And so we just have to go on those orders. God doesn't want anybody to perish. Now I know some of them won't accept Christ, and I know all that kind of stuff. But we have our orders. And so the key, the key is responding. He commands us to go for His glory, but He also commands us to go for our good. There is a spiritual state of rest and peace that you are meant to enjoy. And you know where that rest and peace was for the people of Israel? It was on the other side of the Jordan. It was on the other side of their battle. It was on the other side of their step of faith. It was on the other side of mourning the loss of Moses and the things of the past. It was on the other side of their obedience. And once they pushed through, and as long as they were obeying God, they experienced something that God wants you to experience. A divine rest. You know, you can be saved and being experiencing an unrest when you are not responding in obedience to the voice of Jesus your Savior, your leader. As long as we waffle in disbelief and uncertainty and intimidation and inaction and settling the sin, if we want to live that kind of life, you may, you may pass into the gates of heaven, but as Paul puts it, as through fire, and your life will not be marked by a sense of rest and peace. As long as we stay on the east side of the Jordan... In disobedience, as long as we keep our boat tied to the pier of the world and just let the other soldiers fight the battle, you will not, you will not enjoy the fullness of his salvation, rest, and his peace. It gives the enemy a foothold in your lives. Can you imagine if that civilian fleet had just said, Hey, sorry, we like it over here. It's only 26 miles, but that's too far for me to sail my boat. 26 miles, I'm going to save my gas. I'm not going all in for those soldiers. What would have happened? If only 40,000 had made it back across as was planned, Nazism probably would reign today in Britain. There's no telling what would have happened had that army been completely lost on those shores. Imagine. So, this picture of the people of Israel is a picture of us as the church, as Christians working together, coming all in and not allowing the enemy to scare us away. And listen, he's going to dive bomb us, isn't he? In that movie, if you see that movie, the little boats are coming, you know, and, and they see the planes going by. And it's just a frightening, frightening thing to be in a, a pleasure yacht and to be under the under the guns of the enemy, but they just kept on going, and it was just showed great spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit does that with you. He did it with the disciples. He'll do it with you. He'll just send you into enemy, enemy territory and He'll give you a peace and a rest and a power to rescue the perishing. Second of all, look at verse 11. Not only should we immediately respond to the king's command, but he goes through in verse 11, he says, listen, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days, you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. This is a very personal verse. He says, I am coming. I want you commanders. You go, into, you go to every single person in, the, in Israel. You go into those tribes and those families. And you say to those folks, you have a possession. You have an inheritance. You have a way of life on the other side of this. And you have a certain amount of possessions and things that God has given you. This tribe over here, you've got a lot, you get it all. This tribe over here, you don't have very much, you take all of it. Get everything together. We're not leaving anything behind. We're all going to cross over. Listen to Romans 12. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn over to Romans 12. Here is the New Testament command of the church that is so Similar. Here is the Holy Spirit's direction to you and me. You say, well, pastor, you ought to be able to go in and rescue a bunch of perishing. I mean, you got it down. You went to seminary. You know the Bible. You get to preach all the time. You are, you, it shouldn't be any trouble for you to go in and rescue a bunch. And I just don't have much. I don't speak very good. I'm kind of shy. I don't have a lot of practice. I'm a little tribe. Listen to what Romans 12 says. You know the first verse of Romans 12? Uh, Present yourselves a what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. It didn't say to just the seminary graduates or the staff members. Every single believer. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. Living your boat's in the water. God is your captain. The Holy Spirit is the wind in your sails. And you are in it with God's people. Look at verse 4 of Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. We're one army. We're one church family. And individually members of one another. We need each other. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. If one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And see, that is, not a, that is not a miracle necessarily. That is God came and gave each one of you gifts and abilities and time and talents. And He's put the call to all of us. And He's given you a place on that beach to go after. You ever been on a crowded beach? I've walked out to crowded beaches with my family. You kind of spot out your spot. 
You think, I'm going to claim that territory right there. You take your, you got your flag and your, not your flag, what is it, your umbrella. I'm still under the umbrella, always under the umbrella, but anyway. And you got your umbrella and your, you plant your umbrella and you put out enough towels for everybody to lay on. At least that was my job. You know, and you claim and stake your territory. And listen, I, in a sense, there is territory spiritual territory, people that you are designed to claim. And there is a spiritual rest and peace. You are honored and privileged to enjoy. And it is when we say yes to the command, We put all that God owns, which is everything we are and everything we have, we put it and engage it in to the kingdom work that we find those people, that we rescue the ones that God has just put in our path. You say, I can't rescue everybody, I know. But we're we're all in. We can rescue a whole lot. Some of those boats were ferries. Some of them were fishing vessels. Some were yachts. Some were for personal and family time. All of them surrendered to one purpose. You know, there are people in this world that just kind of shame me when I think I... Have y'all ever heard of David Ring, the evangelist David Ring? You ever heard of this guy? Well, if you've heard him speak, you can't hardly understand him. But somehow, after a while, you begin to understand him. He's got cerebral palsy. But God has used him in an incredible... Who would think a guy with cerebral palsy that can barely be understood would become an evangelist that would lead tens of thousands to Christ? God would think of that. How many of you have heard of the Mike Nicholas uh, Vucicek? Weird last name. He also is an evangelist, leading tens of thousands to Christ. He's preaching all over the nation. He has no arms and no legs. Who would think to use a young man with no arms, no legs from Australia to rescue the perishing? God would think of that. He gets the glory. And so listen, when we, when we see, we see these kind of things and we hear the call, God loves to use a diverse group of people with all sorts of different skills, race, gender, academic achievement, college football loyalties, you name it. God loves to take us all, put us together, send us out into an impossible task under the darts and the flaming arrows of the enemy and let us rescue the perishing. Why does he like to do that? For his glory and for our good. It brings us rest when we're walking by faith. It brings us peace to see the work of God in our lives. But then there's a third thing that he encourages these folks to do. If you look in verse 12, he says to these Reubenites and Gadites in the half-tribe of Manasseh, you need to stay connected 
to God's people. I just want to point this out because i got a whole other sermon on this. I don't want to preach too much of it to this day. But there's a, there's a layout of the tribes. Look at this uh, series of tribes uh, on this next slide. It has the 12 tribes. I'm pretty sure. There it is. West of the Jordan. This was the inheritance. One half tribe of Manasseh, Ephraim, Judah, Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Dan. How many of you can do it that fast? But anyway, east of the Jordan, half tribe of Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad. These decided, they, make a, they made a deal. Don't make deals with God. Don't make deals to settle short of what God has promised and given you. They made a deal. They went in and fought. They said, hey, we're going to be part of this initiative. We're going to go in and we're going to help win that. And they went in. They, let, they were the point of the spear. They went in and fought for their brethren. But as soon as they were done, as soon as they had their limited engagement of all in, they were all out. They went back to the east side of the Jordan. And here's the issue with that. I'll, I'll explain more later, but here's what you need to know is when the Assyrians attacked years later, those two and a half tribes, in their isolation from the whole body, they were the first to fall. They were first to be annihilated. And if you choose to stay divided and disconnected and distant from the body of Christ, it just it puts you out there like a like a weakened animal in a herd, you know, that the lion notices that you're, you're extended, you're disconnected. And he says, he, he even tells them later in Joshua, you don't have to go back. You, you can stay here. But they said, no, we're comfortable. We like it over there. We got us a good piece of property. We, we like our, we got our cattle are well fed. Our children are happy for now. But they, because they settled, because they got stuck, on the wrong side of the Jordan, they were the first to face defeat. What is going to be your story? What would be the video clip of my life, your life? How, how have I and how have you surrendered and yielded to the king's command? Are there some resources that you're holding back and saying, you know, I'll give you some of that, I'll give you some of that, but I am holding back. God says, no, those are mine. And this is war. And we're here to rescue the perishing. Engage everything you have. Everything you are. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's a point of application. And I hope you can see how it connects. I believe that we need to do everything we can as a church to make sure our worship is awesome, that the preaching is good, that we do a great job in our big ship, in the big group meetings. This is a first point of contact for a lot of people. But there are a lot of people whose first point of contact is you. You. And beyond that, you know what another point of contact is? Your life group. 
I want, I want to ask, if you're a life group leader here in this congregation today, if you lead a life group of any age, I want you to stand and stay standing. Just stand up all over the building. I know. These are life group leaders. These folks, uh, they have little lifeboats. Are you in one of them? I believe that these life groups can be a place of reaching people, of making an incredible difference in our community, in our church body. And not only will they reach the lost, but these are places, these are places in our life groups where people become stronger disciples, where they grow in their faith, where they can be loved and encouraged, where you're not stranded out on a beach or stranded in a pew and nobody knows you. You get into a life group and there you can be cared for and loved and encouraged. And none of these life group leaders and none of their life groups are perfect. Amen? No church is perfect. You go and you find this group of people and you try to find a smaller group, a life group that you can connect to. Because there are things you can do in this life group that we cannot do in the big group. Find a way to get connected. Thank you, life group leaders. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you for serving. I'm telling you, some of these life group leaders are uh, heading towards the beach. I mean, they, they want to see men and women and boys and girls come to know Christ. And see them discipled and grow in their relationship with the Lord. And as we go small, we can go all to all. And so we, we kind of have to have an all-in, but we also need a small-in. Where we, where we connect on a smaller level. Because one day we're going to stand before the Father. We're going to stand before the Lord. And He's going to look and say, you know, I put out the call. Did you put in your boat? I put out the call, did you put in your boat? Winston Churchill gave one of his most famous speeches right after this Dunkirk miracle. Let me read you. You'll recognize some of this. It's inspiring to me. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, we, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never, what? Surrender. Y'all are good with Winston Churchill. Now look at this speech. Joshua chapter 24. Best speech in the entire book. Look at Joshua chapter 24 verse 14. He's talking to the people. They've been in there a while, and I love this. This is the challenge today. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, but as for me in my house... We will serve the Lord. Is that your dedication today? Is that your desire? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.